Welcome to the Energy Environment Economy Podcast, a production of the Environmental Business Council of New England. My name is Ann Geisinger. I'm Executive Director at EBC and your host for this episode. Here at Energy Environment Economy, we talk about the business of the environment. From wetland science to air quality, grid modernization to green infrastructure, the list goes on. We are back from our winter break and ready to roll. As a kickoff to the great things to come in 2024, we're pulling together a three-part series that highlights the winners of EBC's annual Ascending Leader Award. Back in 2017, EBC's board wanted to, to direct some more positive attention toward the incredible emerging leaders in the energy and environmental industries. And so we created the Ascending Leader Award to highlight all that great work being done. The award winners are announced over the summer and celebrated at EBC's annual Summer Garden Party in August. So it's been a few months since they've known they won the award, but I didn't want to lose an opportunity to talk to the seven winners about their careers and about the work they do within the energy and environmental industries. I think this series of episodes will be really useful for students who are considering an environmental career, an energy career, and are just not sure what might be important and where they might want to go. So today, part one, I'm talking with Brian Drillette, Senior Managing Scientist and Environmental Forensic Scientist with Ramball, and April Jaroski, Water Resources and Climate Resilience Specialist with Fuss and O'Neill, and she is a friend of the pod. She was actually featured on an episode sort of in the beginning, episode eight on Wonderful Wetlands. We'll link to that in the show notes, but it's great to have April back on the podcast. Welcome to you both. Hi, Ed. Thanks. Thanks for having us. The idea for this episode is to talk a little bit more about how making industry connections has played a role in both of your careers. But I think for to get started, let's just learn a little bit more about how you got to where you are today. So since April had to be in a whole episode last time, I will start with Brian. Brian, how did you get to where you are today? Sure, Anne. Um, thanks for having me and for the EPC with the Ascending Leader Award and, and hosting podcast. Um, so I'm an environmental scientist with Ramball. I've been at Ramball for almost a year now. I made a move from my prior company where I was there for about five years doing the same kind of work. Um, I live in Plattsburgh, New York, which is right across Lake Champlain from the Burlington, Vermont area. And I work full-time from home. That was a pandemic-related move, but my Ramball home office is in Westford, Massachusetts. I went to college for environmental science and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with that afterwards. So I hesitated and stayed in academia for another five years where <laughs> I went to grad school uh, before I moved into consulting. So in grad school, I studied a lot of how contaminants move and behave in the environment. And I took that experience um, into my consulting practice where today I do forensic chemistry, trying to figure out sources of contamination in the environment and uh, where contaminants might move if they're left and not remediated. So that's a little bit about my background and how I got to Ramball today. So when you were in college, did you go into college wanting to be an environmental scientist or wanting that to be a degree, I guess? I guess I thought I wanted it to be my degree. And yeah. a lot of other people in my program were similar to me that they liked being outside. They liked camping. They had a, yeah. you know, a similar lifestyle. And I thought environmental sciences kind of fit that. And it was great. Got a lot of hands-on lab work outside, you know, having half-day labs out in the field. And it was really fun. But I didn't know how I could actually apply that at 
uh, any particular company. I didn't really know about environmental consulting. Right. And I just think I kind of ignored my career options uh, a little <laughs> bit too late. Yeah. Were you already doing contaminant work? How, how did you translate that into a graduate degree? You know, was it a lab that you did that you liked or because it sounds, I mean, to me, that kind of work is a little bit more chemistry focused, right? So there's yes, sort of like absolutely. that. That's at a more intense end of things. So how did you kind of decide that was the path? I It's actually very lucky how I ended up there. Um, I got an email from the program director in college saying there's an opening for a research assistantship at a nearby agricultural research institute. And I think you'd be a good fit. And I said, no, thanks. I'm pretty happy working at this hardware store I'm currently working at and funding <laughs> college. And then he called me back. This is our email. He called me back and he said, I really think you should reconsider. So I went to the institute and they were looking for a lab tech that would study how uh, nutrients entered the environment from the agricultural industry. So mm -hmm. how phosphorus gets into waterways from spreading manure and fertilizers on farm fields. So I, I left the hardware store. I went to um, work at the Ag Research Institute for about a year and decided that I liked the chemistry side of things. It, it made sense to me. And um, that's kind of how I finagled my way into a, a doctorate degree in chemical and environmental engineering. Yeah, wow. That's um, good for that person for following up. <laughs> Major right. loss to the hardware store, but uh, a gain for everyone else. <laughs> that's right. Well, thank you. That's great. Um, April, the brief version. <laughs> sure. Thanks for having me again, Anne. And Ryan, it sounds like we have a little bit of overlap in our background. My favorite class in undergrad was transformation of pollutants in soils. So um, thinking about chemistry, moving through environment is something that uh, has been in my past history as well. But I started to um, got my undergraduate degree from Penn State in environmental resource management, uh, the closest major to soil science as possible, really. And that's where I did soil judging um, and got a job in Pennsylvania at a consulting firm afterwards as an environmental scientist. But that job focused mostly on uh, kind of the site assessment type of work. I call it dirty dirt. Did groundwater sampling at gas stations and said to myself, oh boy, did I work so hard in school to just pump water into 33 mil vials for, for my job. So decided to look into school again because I really enjoyed the wetlands work um, and went back to get my master's from UConn in researching wetlands. And um, I've been working in consulting after that since in the New England area um, and I'm working with Fuss and O'Neill as a climate resilience uh, and water resources specialist, working mostly on ecological restoration and climate resilience projects, which, you know, never thought that that would be the main project type that I, I could work on. But all of the, the media attention and people being more interested in climate change has really opened a lot more funding avenues. So um, it, it really makes the work a lot more meaningful. And if I am not mistaken you have a particular love for dam removals and like dam related work i do i do love dam removals um <laughs> it just thinking about the infrastructure has been there for so long there's so many dams that 
don't really have any purpose, but they're impeding uh, aquatic passage and natural yeah. flow. So, yeah, something that's that's on my mind. So you both were coming out of school with degrees somewhat environmentally related. And did you know what networking was or what it was to make connections in an industry or the importance? What What was your sort of perception of that? April. I think that my perception was based on going uh, on business trips with my dad. He would have these oh. trips and I would see him networking and know that it existed. And that was probably, um, like as a kid, that was my, how I saw what networking was, but so I probably didn't feel super comfortable with it myself, but knew that it, it was a positive association or was it sort of like, ooh, that seems intense? It was maybe like, oh, that's, I'm going to have to do that when I grow up, her okay. boy. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. What about you, Brian? Sounds like you were, uh, have had to be goaded into taking a job, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was in school, I think my perception of networking was almost like the word networking almost seemed like a ploy to me for trying to get in front of a group of people and get something that you want, like a yeah. job. And I think my early networking career, that's probably how I treated it. You know, I went to those early career networking events with this mindset of, you know, I need to find specific people so I can find this specific job. And I didn't go for fun because it wasn't fun the way that I yeah. had thought of it. Very transactional, right? Very transactional. Like I'm, I have this goal. I'm going to this event. I'm supposed to meet three people and I want to meet this person because they might have a job or what job or whatever. Yeah. And sometimes those transactional goals are good when you yeah. need to force yourself to go to a network event and, you know, you have a goal of talking to five people or whatever. But if you're, if you're, I don't think you'll ever get any fun out of that if yeah. you um, just focus on the, the transaction piece of it. I was just going to say, I saw it the, the same way starting out as well, just very transactional and more of a burden or just something I had to do instead of just taking and seeing the positives and, and more fun side of networking. And I should probably mention that for EBC, ascending professionals are within 10 years of joining the industry. So both April and Brian are within that time frame. Um, so, you know, you've had, and I think, Brian, are you at like nine years-ish since your PhD? Depends on, uh, no, six-ish, seven-ish. Oh, six-ish. Okay, yeah. In April, around the same? Eight years now in consulting. Okay. Yeah, so you've had a lot of time now within the industry, and have you had mentors or people within various offices that you worked in sort of kind of say you have to do more networking, like you need to meet people and kind of push you toward that, or has it been sort of like self-motivated? Well, I think I had a couple of mentors early on who recommended going to networking events, but doing so in a more low-pressure type of mindset. Just go and have a drink and talk to people. And if you do that regularly at the same type of events, you'll come across the same people over and over again. You'll start to you know, be acquaintances with them or maybe even kind of professional friends. And over time, it, it starts to get easier and starts to get fun. So it, there were a couple of people early on who pushed me to do it from a low pressure type of mindset. But you, April? Yeah, I think, you know, it was 
because my dad took us and my siblings and mom on these business trips of his like that part of networking was always in the conversation say my dad is pretty much my career coach so I mm -hmm. I run a lot of things by him and talk about my career advancement with him so I'd say most of my thoughts about networking and wanting to get out there is just come up through him and and trying to motivate myself to expand my network from there um, but I've definitely met mentors and, and people along the way um, that I know might be at certain events so I, I try and go there and meet the people they know and then things happen a lot more naturally and a, a lot more easily in that way. Do you remember the first time that you went to an event specifically to network? Do you remember how you felt there? One event comes to my mind and it was meeting with a client and I'm like certain I was just entirely awkward and <laughs> I, I like was thinking, oh boy, what, what am I supposed to say to them in this very casual situation? Um, so it was certainly a work in progress and I'd say still is. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Brian? Do you remember? I don't think I remember the very first one. It was probably sometime in college and it was probably very awkward so much so that I blocked it out of my mind. <laughs> um, but I, I remember a couple of key ones in grad school where I would go to conferences and those were, that was a good environment because was usually other grad students in a similar type of study as awkward as I am and pressure was a bit lower um, so we kind of all felt that general sense of awkwardness together um, but those those very early ones I blocked them out for a reason apparently. So would you say that your perception of what networking is and its function has changed over time in, the, in these six to eight years that you've been actually working in the industry? Absolutely. Like I mentioned, when you start going to these events more and more, you start to make friends with people and you want to see them um, more regularly in, in an environment you don't usually see them in. So that's fun. And then I think the second is it's a great chance to learn about what other people do in the industry that I'm not exposed to all the time. Um, I'm the serial question asker when I'm in a networking environment trying to figure out who people are and what they do and see if that can be useful to me or them later on down the road. So from a learning perspective, I really enjoy networking now. And that's changed since my early days. Yeah, I definitely jive with what Brian is saying. I think my perception has changed and I think about it more of just trying to meet people and learn about them because each individual brings something different to the table and has a really interesting background that maybe it doesn't seem completely relevant to work, but that doesn't matter. It's good to meet them, know them, and um, just learn about how someone else moves through the world. And I kind of see that maybe more on a personal level too. Like that's what makes meeting people interesting um, in addition to doing that in a professional sense. Yeah. So you're both ascending professionals. You both work for firms that are members of EBC and you're sort of both in the EBC community. So clearly you've both kind of found a place within our membership association, which is what EBC is. But I think there's so many other types of associations out there. A lot of them focus on specific topics. And 
associations are meant to kind of bring people together into the room that are focused on the same thing. So for ABC, it's folks in the energy and environmental industries. We have kind of a wide uh, range of people who could be interested in, in coming to ABC programs and events. Um, for other associations, it's kind of smaller targeted groups. But on the whole, what are your reflections on kind of getting more in touch with an association, either one like ABC that has a wide range of topics to explore or one of the, you know, sort of targeted ones that are maybe just focused on wetlands or something like that? Exactly. It it opens the door and provides that opportunity to, to get your foot in the door. And for me, right. that's that's the toughest piece to overcome with networking. So yeah, being able to to talk to people on on behalf of an organization is a, a good way to kind of swoop in. What about you, Brian? I know you're involved with EBC's Emerging Contaminants Working Group. Um, by other associations, just reflections on your their time with them and with EBC. Yeah, I think EBC is probably the organization that I participate in most regularly, just because there's so many great programs and you know the garden parties and things that are more regular and and less on a an annual basis. But I am involved in a couple of other, I'd say, national associations like Association for Health and Environmental Health and Sciences Foundation and National Groundwater Association that have these um, kind of mega memberships. And folks that usually meet on a at a yearly basis, say at a conference. Um, but I also found that uh, alumni associations and opportunities for me to either meet um, you know other people who went to my school or current students and talk to them about the different career paths that are available that they might not know about. I I try to participate in those as often as I'm invited to do so. Because I felt like that was a, a key piece of my education that I was missing or I didn't take as seriously. So uh, I'm actively trying to kind of give back in that space and make up for my own deficiencies when I was a student. So I think that where I'm living right now in, in Plattsburgh, New York, there aren't quite as many professional associations that are kind of aligned with my um current career as much as there were when I was living in the Boston area, but I'm still trying to to stay active where I can. Do either of you have any sort of tips and tricks or ways to help students or people who are just starting their careers rethink what it means to make industry connections, to do that networking piece, to join associations, anything that helped you along the way? Yeah. I mean, really just I'd say volunteering that because that's has been the easiest way for me to break into the network. Volunteering can also kind of show you your leadership poten- potential and give you an avenue to express your creativity and and organize a group of people in a way that maybe you don't have the opportunity to do so in your student life or in your job. So that's that's probably my tip. Yeah, and I'd say that two things. One is go to a lot of events and just get used to them. If you do them more regularly and uh, you're you're in that mindset more than once a year, say, you'll start to get more comfortable with it. And then a networking event is is quite easy. And then I think the second is go into those networking events with the understanding that everybody else that there that's there is there for 
networking as well. So everybody wants to talk to you and hear about what you're doing and, uh, you know, ask good questions of them as well and just learn from people and figure out who's in attendance and who's doing what. Um, everybody's there for the same purpose. It's to meet people and have fun. And um, you won't be the only one in the room that uh, might feel a little bit weird for for being there or a little bit uncomfortable. For sure. I totally agree with that. I think that's the thing that I like to say the most is if you're going to a networking event, everybody is there for the same reason. So everybody's there to meet other people. You're You're there to do it. And that's what they want to do. And I often try to encourage students to realize that they have something to offer as well. It's it's not that you don't have anything to offer because you're a student. You're doing your own research. You're doing your own classwork. You will eventually be a potential hireable person. People want to talk to you and learn more about you. It's not just, you know, business executives talking to other business executives. There's there's a interest generally in meeting people from all walks of life when you go to any kind of event. So don't forget that you even, in quotes, as a student, have something to offer to the group. The other thing I think is important to mention is, and just mention again, because we've already talked about it, is moving away from feeling like it's transactional, which it can be. But just thinking about the more people that you know, the, the better off you are, even if you never become, quote, official LinkedIn friends or you don't necessarily share business cards. If you go to another event a few months down the road and you see that person again, now you've walked into a room and you actually kind of know somebody and you can be like, hey, remember when we chatted last time? How's that? Whatever it was that you were talking about before and talking about things that aren't just work related is completely fine, too. You know, you don't have to just talk about the work at hand. Right. I mean, it's nice to know about people's personal lives, too, sometimes like April's mushroom calendar that she makes every year. Like, That's a fun fact. And I like knowing that about you. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that getting away from the transactional side of things, getting more personal. People like interactions like that, especially with folks that they don't see too regularly. So that's certainly how I, I try to see networking events now from that lens. Yeah, the piece I think about is just just be curious. You know, you can be curious about who they are, their hobbies, their work. If there's something you're curious about and you, you have that conversation It'll be a lot easier to move through the networking event that way. Yeah, and if you've already met them and you see on LinkedIn, for example, that they're doing something new or maybe they moved companies and you have an interest in it, you already have that connection under your belt to send them a quick message and say, oh, hey, I see you're working at you know this company now. I'd love to pick your brain and hear more about it. Um, you can go back to that original meeting and say, you know, I met you at the EBC summer garden party and we hit it off. Um, love to chat more and hear what's new. So the, there's long-term benefits to kind of connecting people, connecting with people more socially like that as well. Maybe what we can close on is that when you're in a consulting role and other roles too, you never know what project you're going to be working on where there are project partners and you never know that the other people might be people you've met at an event or the person that hires you five years down the road could be somebody that you met at an event and kind of maintained sort of some conversation here and there over the years. But now they kind of know you. And when you apply for that job, you kind of rise up out of the pile because they've already met you and know you. Um, you could be working for a municipality and you happen to run into somebody on their team that 
again, you met at some event or something like that, or um, just those connections can really pay off in ways you could never imagine. So um, it's a long-term, it's a long game. <laughs> yeah, and to piggyback off of that, I always think that it's obvious, but it's important to respect everyone just because someone might just be a student or earlier in their career. Well, they might be the one hiring you in your future. You never know uh, where you're going to run into to people. And just because they might be different than you doesn't mean that you're better than them and don't deserve to, you know, have that conversation. So kind of, you know, going back to the curiosity, no matter who they are, channeling that curiosity and, and being respectful in, in any situation, because you never know where you will run into people again. Very true. And a very good place to stop remembering to be kind and curious in all your interactions. <laughs> so a final question, which I ask everybody who comes onto the podcast. Um, Brian, what is capturing your attention this week? It can be anything at all. It does not have to be related to this conversation or to work or anything like that. Well, the holidays are coming up next week and my six-year-old son, Oliver, and my three-year-old daughter, Lillian, are quite excited for a hopeful visit from Santa Claus. Yeah. So my attention keeps getting pulled away from all of my end of year work to them. Yeah. And I don't know if it's this is school feeding them candy all day or if it's the holiday spirit, but uh, all <laughs> life has been crazy this past week. And it's fun. Looking forward to some quality time off. With six and three, they are now very aware of what Christmas is, right? Like they can, your six-year-old definitely knows exactly what's about to happen and is very excited. I imagine the three-year-old is kind of catching on. Catching on. Yeah, she's a little scared of Santa Claus hopefully visiting the house at night and her not knowing that you know, he might be there. Same thing with the tooth fairy. When my six-year-old lost his first tooth, uh, Lillian was quite concerned that a fairy was going to break into our house that night. But it's, uh, it's a fun time right now. <laughs> All right. My um, my son's four and a half, and he's very excited about Christmas and what's about to happen and all the presents and everything. So it's kind of fun to see him, like, really know what it means to be the holiday season and all the different activities that we do and stuff. So, it's yeah, special. It's fun. Yeah. What about you, April? What's uh, capturing your attention this week? Well, first off, I'll say those those are great ages to celebrate the holiday. Having kids those ages makes it really fun. Capturing my attention this week is... All the rain that we just got over oh. the past couple of days, it was over two inches out here in Western Massachusetts. And there are two things that come to mind. One, that could have been multiple feet of snow and I'm excited <laughs> to go skiing and snowboarding. So I keep thinking about that. Yeah, some of the ski resorts closed because the rain melted all of the snow that they had made. <laughs> so sad. So, yeah, New England skiing is not long for this world. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of potential that that, that could have been a, a ton of snow, but unfortunately just just rain. Um and so a ton of communities are experiencing flooding, which is kind of at the root of a lot of the work that I do. I'm bringing it back to the capacity of the infrastructure of dams and, and culverts and um a lot of the infrastructure is just getting older and um, I can't help but walk around and think about, oh, man, be great if they could take that dam out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's what's been on my mind. Well, let's hope the infrastructure money continues to improve infrastructure across the region. 
helps make us a little bit more resilient, especially against things like flooding, which are clearly going to be more and more and more intense events for New England in general. So did you get rain in Plattsburgh? Was it a was it up there too? Oh yeah, we got quite a bit of rain, a couple of inches. Um, we live right on Lake Champlain and the water level is coming up and up and up. So um, in the in the deep freeze of winter with the water level as high as it is, the um, issues from ice are going to be very interesting. Okay, got it. Well, thank you both for um, joining today and giving your thoughts on you know, making those connections in your work life. Um, and congratulations to you both for being Ascending Award winner, oh, Ascending Leader Award winners. I appreciate that you gave us this time. It's been, you know, about five months since you won the award. So hopefully you've gotten a lot of, of accolades from your uh, people in your office and feel really good about, you know, yourselves and the work that you've done. So congratulations again. <laughs> Thank you, Anne, and uh, thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks, Anne. It's been great. And a very happy new year to you both. Likewise. Thanks, Anne. Happy new year. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with April and Brian. Developing a network of connections will always be helpful no matter what happens in your career or even in your life, for that matter. Building up the roster of people you know in any industry will help you in ways you could never have foreseen. And EBC is always happy to have students join in programming. Just get in touch with us. Most of the time, we're happy to welcome students to our programs free of charge, and they are excellent opportunities to network and meet people in the energy and environmental industries. You'll find links from the discussion in the show notes, as well as a link back to our website, ebcne.org. And please like, rate, and review. Uh, Let us know what you think about the podcast. Any interaction that you have helps get the word out more widely to more people. Next week, we're going to continue this series of interviews with Ascending Leader Award winners and focus on the positive environmental impact that the professionals in this industry have every day. Energy Environment Economy is a production of the Environmental Business Council of New England. Thank you to EBC Administrative Coordinator Stephanie Sukar for editing the episode and managing the branding and marketing, and to EBC Fall Intern Hayden Adair for his research and wordsmithing. Music is only forward by Roman Senec Music 2023.